Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast where we interview top real estate agents, investors who are pursuing a life of freedom and purpose. We focus on stories, successes, and the things that have made them succeed, as well as some of the stories that you know bring some kind of creative uh, and bring the crazy world that sometimes we live in to you guys as viewers. Today we have Dale Corpus on. Dale is a personal friend of mine. He's in a group with me. He's originated loans on investment properties that I purchased, so I've got to deal with him on a business uh, you know, level where he has provided phenomenal service. So I'm excited to have you on today, Dale, and we're going to dive right into it. So Dale, I want you to tell us one of the craziest transactions or experiences that you've had so far to date in real estate. <clears throat> You know, one of the things I'm going to just say, uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to when I first started like in, in lending during the uh, heyday of lending before the mortgage credit crash. You guys uh, remember that there was a lot of uh, no-doc types of loans going out over there where there was, uh, I, I was doing a lot of uh, NINA loans and NINA stands for no income, no asset loans and whatnot. And I remember uh, being a preferred lender for an actual investment group where they were buying um, a bunch of, sing they're offering a bunch of single family homes. I think it was in the state of Arizona for the price points of like uh, $50,000. And I had, you know, people buying, I had investor groups probably buying maybe, uh, you know, different groups within it, uh, buying maybe three or four at a time or whatnot. And, you know, I, I did all of the loans legitly and whatnot, and they all funded. Again, no income, no assets. You literally just need to have uh, a credit score and a pulse. And <laughs> I can't say they're liar loans in the sense that you don't need to state anything on the a 1003, a 1003 uh, for you guys, it's a, it's a loan application. Um, I, you know, cl uh, basically closed them. And this probably, this was around 2006-ish. Um, but like during the crash, I think it was around 2009-ish, I, um, I ended up getting an email and a call from the FBI. And oh. when you get a call, for, I, at first I wow. didn't think it was real. But the thing is, I, when I got the voicemail though too, I'm like, I got to call these people back. And <laughs> I don't, I don't even think I told people the story. I don't even think I told my wife the story. But I, <laughs> I, they wanted me to meet with them. Um, they wanted to meet with them in person, like the FBI agents. To I didn't know what they were going to talk about because uh, I didn't. I mean, I know that I didn't commit any fraud anywhere, but. They went to talk to me and it was like, do you, and then they, they met me over a coffee shop over in Pleasanton, close to where I live. And they asked me, Hey, do you remember these borrowers? And they took, they, they told me the last name. Well, they're, you know, well, we, the, you know, they've defaulted on their loans and they're connected to like, you know, a group of, you know, folks and whatnot that have just uh, done mortgage fraud and, and whatnot. And, I just said, yeah, I do remember those buyers that are connected to this group that, that was doing that. They were buying a bunch of investments and whatnot. And the types of loans I did for them were a, a no income, no asset type of you know loan. And, um, I, and so I didn't have to prove anything for them to make their loan work, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I was a little shaken up just, you know, being with mm -hmm. like basically two, like two FBI agents, if you will. And like, yeah. like I had no idea what they talked to me about. I'm like, I, I was like... I knew I was in trouble, but it's still in the back of my mind. I was like, did I do something wrong? No, I mean, I felt yeah. like I was just still like, doing whatever a loan officer does out of there just to get a loan deal done. I mean, I just, um, and I didn't, I, and I wasn't even trying to bend any of the guidelines, but I would tell you, I got my heart pumped a little, my heart was pumping at one time, mm -hmm. but it's just like, again, that was a, a little, uh, you know, I was doing loans before the mortgage credit crash. I'm still doing loans now and I'm still doing good loans, but it was like one of those things where like that stuff happens. I got I me, mean, I got called by the FBI. I don't think I've shared that with many people. Uh, <laughs> hey, gosh, <laughs> like how, how long did it take you to come down from that, you know, high, that heart race that you were on? Holy cow. Well, when the thing, okay. When I, you know, they, during the conversation, I mean, they just wanted to know what I knew. And I yeah. really didn't know these people. You know, mm. They were not friends of mine. Or yeah. I was, I happened to be for Leonard. And I was like, when I, when they probably, when they knew that I had no direct connection to these folks, and I don't remember their names um, off the top of my head now, I was like, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm just telling them what I know. I'm being honest mm -hmm. and truthful and transparent. I followed, I followed the guidelines. I wasn't working at that bank anymore. I was at Wells Fargo at the time when I originated those loans, but I was doing everything still to the T. But I'm just telling you, it was like, 
it just made me think, I was like, just be careful. People are watching. It's like, don't do anything mm -hmm. shady. The FBI's people are watching. Yeah. Totally. Especially when it comes yeah. to mortgages and banks and, you know, those banks have a, a pretty tight connection with, with government and all of that. Absolutely. I mean, obviously loans are, it's harder to do, like those types of loans. I mean, some of them are coming back now, but not to the level of, of how easy it still was prior to the, to the credit crash. I mean, I, even on the loan side right now, I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm seeing like more no doc types of loans, just quicker qualifiers, a little bit of reminiscence of what, you know, what, you know, of the, the types of programs that were around before the credit crash, but it's still, you know, but it's not, we, uh, it's still not, too, it's not, it's not too crazy. It's not too, you know, I, I still feel there's overall, there's really, really good loans right now. People are still fall, like, you know, so scared about, you know, rates, you know, being so high right now, but rates are still what in the fives and whatnot for just conventional. It's in the bigger picture of things. It's really not that high. Mm. So a lot of times people just get so scared that the sky's already falling and it's really not. So you got to live in the real estate and mortgage world during and before and during the crash. Can you, as a, you know, I feel like, you know, when you talk to an older person that's been through like a world war or whatever, like you have been through a big market correction, a big market crash. Can you tell us what that was like and how you survived and made it through? So my background is um, I've been in the lending industry since um, 2001. And to be like, I actually, my, my degree, by the way, it's in engineering. So I, um, <laughs> It's an electrical engineering for that matter. Uh, but I always attribute that degree to being able to be a really good problem solver mm -hmm. um, and really good at taking tests and, and just, you know, like there's no problem. That's a big problem. You can figure it out, you know. Um, but when I, I got into the lending industry, it was it was actually, you know, it was a good time to get in. I, uh, I was trying to either, like I knew that when I graduated in college, it was in 2000, the, 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 uh, I'm an opportunist. I wanted to do something in tech. Think I was going to be a dot-com millionaire. I was just a few years uh, too late because the crash happened in 2001 and I got laid off. But being laid off was one of the best blessings in my life because mm -hmm. of the fact that I realized that wasn't the industry and the people I wanted to be around because I was more so like into things. Like I was, I was actually obsessed. So like, how do I buy a home in the Bay Area? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's so damn expensive. I mean, it's all relative because I thought things were expensive back in the early 2000s. And um, because I couldn't afford realtor dues at the time, literally, I was like, I just because I'll just be a loan officer. And so in that, um, I ended up becoming a loan officer, you know, at, you know, uh, first an assistant over at the big banks. And I met a ton of people. Um, I, it was very, very good. I ended up being in the, uh, uh, I started off at Wells Fargo in what we call the builder division, where we were the preferred lenders for a lot of the high rise condos coming up in downtown San Francisco and downtown San Jose, um, really expensive condos. Um, so meeting a lot of high net worth, uh, net worth folks and just building up a database that way. And the heyday of, um, of, of mortgages was so exciting. We, my, my wife and I were on, you know, we always looked forward to just amazing sales conference trips with the banks. I remember we've had some really awesome performers just so that would be surprise performances for us. I remember like one time we were shocked that Elton John did a private performance for us and my wife and I didn't know what was happening. We just happened to be on, on the stage on, we saw a piano and Elton John pops out. We were like, are you serious? Whoa. This is unreal. And like, uh -huh. we high-fived him. Yeah. Yeah. So we high fived them. But like, but fast forward to like, I want to tell you this though. It was really easy to get loans done. But the thing is, I knew that it wasn't going to continue like that for a while. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, like it was around 07 or something. Like this is kind of crazy. I mean, and I feel that this can't sustain for a while. And um, it was, there was, I know sometimes I felt that on the banking side of things, they were just getting loose with just even checking their verbal verifications of employment sometimes. And when I was like, are you not even like, it's not my place to, you know, to do like every single part of the transaction. I mean, the bank has processes for that. But like when I saw people getting loose and sloppy with stuff, I was like, there's going to be something that happens. I, I'm not an economist or anything, but I just felt it. And when it came down, it came down hard and fast. Um, people, I mean, 
guidelines changed pretty drastically. I couldn't get anything done because nobody had any equity. People had equity lines where the credit limits were just cut off because uh, the banks would just do maybe like, you know, maybe quarterly sweeps of what they thought the value is. And if there wasn't enough equity, they cut your credit line out. In fact, I mean, I was, they, they did the same thing to me on one of my, on, on my HELOC, on my primary residence. And it's one of those things, very uh, paralyzing, knowing that you're hundred percent commission. And was like, what are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that I was, um, when I was working at the bank, I'm like, what am I going to do next? I can't even get anything done. I can't, I can't, I can't get any, for the life of me, I want to get these loans done, but not, like everything that I have in my database for, for scenarios nobody fits the guidelines. Mm. This is a funny thing. It's just, I feel that just everything happens for a reason. And I, I, I felt that it's one of those things you just, you build a following of clients and whatnot, people that know, like, and trust you, I mean, of wherever you're doing, but that, that network that you build, it kind of just propels you to your next opportunity. Um, I, this is how I actually transitioned into real estate sales. Um, I never said, I, I guess initially, you know, uh, I, um, initially potentially wanted to be a realtor, but I chose the lending route because I couldn't afford real estate dues. But the opportunity became, uh, the opportunity was calling out at me because uh, people, instead of asking, you know, can I refinance? They started asking me questions of like, how do I do a loan modification? I mean, I mm-hmm. trust you because you do my loan. But, or how do I do a short sale, Dale? And I was like, ding, ding, ding. This is it. Mm-hmm. I think I can get people are already asking me and I just like, I just need to provide the value for what people that already know, like, and trust me need. Um, I got into real estate sales that way. I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave the bank now and I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a a realtor. And my, like my very first three transactions were short sale listings. I was like, I didn't, um, I mean, and I, for most people, like they're very scared of what, what the heck is a short sale and whatnot. I mean, in a nutshell, it's basically doing like it to me, it felt like doing a loan and a real estate transaction together. I'm like, this is totally up my alley. It's not, <laughs> it's just, it's, it is just like doing a loan, but you happen to be selling real estate. So, uh, but you're making more, you're making more money, you know? So I'm like, Oh, this isn't that bad. So I was able to kind of take that situation and transition into my next career into mm. real estate sales. Um, because of it, I was flipping out at first. I re- I remembered like, here's the funny thing, guys. I remember that I thought it was actually a good idea to leave the bank and ju- and 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 also become a realtor because I was thinking I was gonna I was W two by the way when I was working at the banks and then I was thinking if I became self employed it would be a good thing in the event that I needed to uh, short sell on my prop- properties <laughs> literally mm-hmm. it'd be easier to to do something like that because when you're self employed I mean you have more flexibility of you know what you could write off and and, and report and whatnot so it's just like I I thought it would be a good thing like uh, for that reason as well um, in the event that it didn't work out. But you know, the funny thing is it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it worked out. I, I felt that it was the, um, for somebody that didn't come into the real estate sales world with a really big business model, I was just working literally off my referral business and my network. Um, and it, the fact that it ended up working out, I was like, I think this is like real estate is kind of just meant for me. Um, you know, uh, so I'm just going to stay in my lane and like, let's just see what, uh, what other things in the real estate world, mortgage, you know, uh, you know, uh, real estate sales, investing, et cetera, have in store for me. And so, um, you know, here I am, here I am right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super cool. And so you, obviously you just went where the opportunity was. So you had built a large clientele through the mortgage side. And then you weren't afraid to hop on the other side of the aisle, become an agent and serve that need. And now years later, you have access not just to do loans, but to do real estate both. And so in good times, you're doubly benefited and it's what saved you in the bad times. That's super cool. Yeah. So I have the opportunity, like I'm different in the sense that I'm one of the only other, like I'm one of the realtors that uh, I'm a realtor now and I do have a sales team. Uh, like I do mainly residential real estate, uh, but um, like I'm people on my team and just other realtors know that I know mortgage guidelines really well. It's like, I will never originate a loan that of my own deal. Um, I just mm. don't believe in that, but like, I'm always a good, you know, sanity check for folks that are having mortgage issues on my team, or even just people know that that I know all the guidelines. Just like, 
helping them, you know, maneuver through their issues, or I'm like, oh, that doesn't, it's not going to work like that. And, or have you seen it this way? Or, you know, you might want to talk to this lender because I know they could do that and save your deal. So that's been really, really helpful because I've been able to save a lot of real estate deals because of that knowledge. Awesome. That's awesome. And it's so great that you have experience as a lender as well as a realtor. Yep. Can you talk about like the difference of wearing each of those hats? Is there a totally different mindset when you're playing as a realtor versus being a lender? Or just kind of tell me what, um, how easily those roles transfer? I think they're really different. Um, so I feel that um, so on the lending side, or actually on the, on the real estate side, I feel that it's uh, more about you know, it's more marketing focus and more strategy focus, like how am I going to find the deals? How am I going to even get it accepted um, and, and whatnot? Whereas on the, on the mortgage side of things, it's so much more analytical and like, you really got to be good with, you know, numbers and, and, and guidelines. I feel like that's more engineering uh, and uh, versus the real estate side. It's just uh, uh, you, you, need, you just need to have, more of a sophistication of, of, of like, and, uh, and, you know, the, I, I feel like lenders are really creative in general, mm -hmm. in general, compared to realtors. Some realtors are really creative, but lenders they have to be extra creative because financing is what makes the deals work. Um, mm -hmm. The more creative that you are, you know, I mean, that the more, you know, the more like when a realtor partners up with a creative uh, lender, for example, they're more successful. You know, I mean, uh, Matt, you're a realtor too. So it's just like, you probably could attest to something, you know, you could attest to that too. So it's just like, they're, you know, it's just different skill sets. Um, you know, I, again, I come from that, uh, my background, I'm very analytical, but I also, you know, I'm very, uh, at the same time too, it's just like uh, on the, on the, on the real estate side, um, I feel, uh, again, it's, you can get by with not being super analytical. You could get by on the real estate side and be super successful just because you have a cool personality, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so in yeah. order to do that on the mortgage side, you actually kind of know need to know guidelines and just know more about, you know, you actually need to know things. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that you say that too, because you know, the the element, the the knowledge and the detail orientedness on the lending side is so much higher. Um, and so like I can really relate to what you're saying. When I first got in, I had this lender take me under their wing and say, hey, you're a high energy person. I want to connect with you. I'll give you some referrals. You give me some referrals. We'll, we'll grow our business together. I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. We got eight deals in a contract in the first three months. And then it took them four months to close those loans. And it's not like we wrote the contracts up for four months. Like I... I felt like as a real estate agent, I was a unpaid, uh, you know, counselor, therapist. Um, and so it, it like scarred me for the rest of my existence. It was like no longer, it, it, you know, like I went after that and I'm like, who is literally the best lender in the lending industry? And how do I make sure I get my clients to them? Um, yeah. Because as you said, if you have somebody, and this guy was well-intentioned, he wasn't, I mean, he just wasn't creative um, and didn't know the guidelines enough. And so, you know, we got the deals done, the clients ended up were happy in the end, but gosh, I mean, the difference between a creative solid lender and, a, and, and one that's not is just, it's crazy. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, I mean, it takes, ex, you know, it takes experience, knowledge of knowing, like I'm a mortgage broker, so you got to know which lenders can do what and how fast it can close. And like, you know, just because they, just because they have a guideline that exists, doesn't mean that they can actually close it. So it's yeah. like, I, I'm very, I only work with certain lenders for certain things because of the fact that I know they're actually going to close. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So you brought this up a couple times, right? So you mentioned the ability to solve problems and, and you have a, a high level of creativity that you think you can tie directly to your experience as a mortgage broker. Um, do you think those were skills that were developed, your creativity and your problem solving skills? Or do you think those um, were something you were born with? I think that it was already part of my DNA. But the thing is, you know, just by, you know, by me, uh, but I feel that it's part of, also part of your environment. I mean, me 
being I, I like problem solving i just feel like i feel like some of my training for example was in college t- taking all these hard courses and whatnot and like figuring i actually like figuring things out i can't say i liked for example engineering but no i like figuring out problems and i'm like okay it sounds very daunting it looks very daunting up, up front but like you just break it down seriously it's just like it's not i mean it's really not rocket science you can figure this out um, and I always feel like I take that type of approach to everything um, and just uh, uh, as it relates to, you know, just business and just uh, and, and I, I, I never get bogged down and I never get paralyzed by, you know, that by issue that for things that people might see as issues. Um, I always feel that there's going to be a there's going to be a way that we can solve this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things like I stay really calm under pressure because I know I can figure it out. Yeah, love that you have an unshakable confidence in your not your knowledge of the answers, but your knowledge, your ability to find the answers. Right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that basically it was your network that kind of saved you in that downtime. And I would obviously add your ability to pivot to solve the needs of the of your network. But can you describe for our audience what you did to build your network and how much that's benefited you? Okay. Um, so it was easy as a loan, is easier to, as a loan officer to build. I mean, I literally built it one client at a time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, I mean, for me and everybody's story is different. I, I met a lot of people cause I, 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 I was a preferred lender, for example. So I met a ton of people who had to get apps through me to buy these condos and whatnot. But I also did go to a lot of networking events, um, and, uh, you know, happy hours literally, and just, started networking and building relationships, uh, that way. Um, I, I, I using, so, you know, connecting with people, uh, via, uh, LinkedIn, I see back then, back in the earlier 2000, uh, mid two thousands and whatnot, like, like, like obviously Instagram and, uh, and Facebook went around, but like, I'm mentioning that because I use those really, uh, I, I use those a lot right now, like social media, like, offline networking and and online networking to me, at least for what I do, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, You got to meet people offline, bring them there online. They learn more about you and whatnot. But like what I'm trying to say is like, but back when I was first starting off, just really just uh, adding everybody, like I was very simple guys. My CRM was was in this Excel spreadsheet, just adding everybody to my Excel spreadsheet, um, try to get connected with them, like potentially through LinkedIn staying in touch. Okay. Um, a lot, uh, staying in touch. And I, I remember even writing, so back then I was actually, uh, with Brian Buffini coaching and whatnot. So I do a lot of handwritten notes every day. And I actually think that that, mm. like, to be honest with you, that helped because who else is mm. writing handwritten notes? Or something? Right. You know, checking on them, how are everything's doing? How's your family doing? And like, um, you know, they actually open it because it was, I, I literally wrote them by hand. Mm. Uh, we didn't have, you know, back then they didn't have, you know, uh, automated systems for handwriting. I actually had to do it myself. <laughs> so um, I really tried to, I focused on the relationship and just standing out. There's so much, uh, you know, being a, a, a realtor, you know, a mortgage broker and whatnot, there's so much competition. I'm a dime a dozen. I'm like, I, the only way for me to cut through all the noise, I mean, is just to personalize myself and show that I care and really just stand out and then just really just like, I do my very, very best to just humanize myself. And mm-hmm. I feel that that is probably, you know, I'm not, I'm not a robot. I'm actually somebody that, you know, that they could talk to and open up to. And like, if they had issues, whether it's, you know, you know, with what they got going on, um, you know, like in their life or whatever that's affecting the finances. Like, I, I think that people feel comfortable to be, you know, vulnerable enough to open up to me. And like, I feel like I'm a, uh, like as a, as a realtor or mortgage person, it's like, I swear to God, we're like psychologists and counselors. And it's just, we take a, a lot of that and it's like, I'm a, a sounding board for them to just let them, you know, hear, say anything that they want to say. And I really give my just, you know, transparent and, and honest uh, ad- advice for their scenario of what I would want to do. And maybe like give them opinions of like, have you seen things this other way, etc. But like, I, um, again, I, uh, I feel that, um, I feel that just, you know, my, my, my ability to connect with people, um, and, you know, it, it leaves a, a lasting impression. And, um, I feel that that's kind of what helped me, uh, uh, throughout, like throughout the, throughout the years. And that's how I keep my referral, like networks and referral business going. Cause I'm primarily referral based. 
Yeah, that's incredible. And I got to experience your service firsthand. You know, there was a couple lenders that gave input as far as what they could do. And your solution was the most creative of the ones that I was presented, which was really cool because the, the property that I bought was was capable of making a lot of income. But as, as you know, essentially the banks are only going to look at it as what the appraiser will say the income is. And so while I was very comfortable with all the risk because I knew I was going to make about twice as much as what they thought I was going to make, you were able to find a product that instead of being a 30 year, that was a 40 year that was IO for the first 10 and a fixed rate. And that was kind of my conditions. I need a fixed rate loan and, you know, something, something that can make this work. And you found it. And um, out of curiosity, after the loan was done, I asked the other guys, could you have even done this? Some of the lenders couldn't even do what you did, let alone think of it. So, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, you, you helping us do that. So, um, well, you're welcome. I, I appreciate that. It was definitely a, a unique property, as you know, but we still got it done. And um, no, it's just like, you know, it's amazing. Again, it's just like these, uh, I mean, these DSCR loans, again, uh, just for those those the audience, it's like I do a bunch of DSCR loans and they stand for debt service um, uh, coverage ratio loans where uh, they're only for investment property. So non-owner occupied types of scenarios where that where the lender doesn't even look at the income of the borrower they don't care if you're w2 or if you have a business they will look at your credit score to determine what pricing would be but provided that the um, the monthly market rents of the subject property are greater than the um the uh the principal interest tax insurance payment of the of the of the loan it works and and if somebody gets an interest only loan because there's an actual product that's a 40-year fix but 10 years interest only they again there's provided that it qualifies that it cash flows that the uh rent ratio that 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 the the rents are greater than the interest only taxes and insurance it works that's the iti that's the iti payment it, it works so you just need to be at greater than a one percent ratio of the iti payment and what the market rent is and it works and Believe it or not, there's actually some lenders out there that'll even do it for lesser than a 1% ratio. I mean, rates are much, much higher and down payments are more. But um, these products are, you know, catered nowadays for uh, a lot of real estate investors. And uh, I know you guys are like a lot, you know, you got a lot of you listening are probably are real estate investors, but there's a product out for you there even for you if you know you can't document your income. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is crazy. It's almost coming full circle back to the original story right where we're starting to get back close to no doc no income loans um you know they could be great if you really know what you're doing but be careful um yeah you know. be, be careful i mean be careful like i, I one thing i did want to say uh, as well is like no it's great that people like another thing i want to say with the with the mortgage rate environment changing and whatnot i do see interest only being more prevalent right now okay which reminds me more about uh, you know, like a pre-credit, uh, pre-mortgage crisis days and whatnot. Like, so when I got into the business in like the early 2000s and whatnot, I think the 30-year fixed back then was high sixes of 7%. And then the big product when I first, uh, you know, was started doing lending was more so like a 5-1 arm interest only, fixed for the first five years, interest, you know, and also interest only for the first five years as well. And I think those rates are more like in the mid fours to uh, mid fives and whatnot. But like, it's funny because we're at a point now where rates, you know, even for some of these DSCR loans are already in the sixes and fives and they're doing interest only or whatnot. I personally have no problems doing interest only because I do interest only myself on some of my own, on my own stuff. But it's just like, one thing I just wanted to say is like, when you, even if you get an interest only product, make sure cash flows, even if you're not, even if it's a full, like it just calculate the, the principal and interest payment, make sure cash flows on that too. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, if the market is to go, you know, down even more so that you're not just caught, you're not, yeah. you're, you're not, you're not caught in it. You know what I mean? And just like, like, I remember, um, I'm only saying this from experience and as self, I remember not when I, my very first investment property, like, uh, I think it was around 2006 ish was buying, uh, an out of state rental in, uh, Las Vegas. Um, truth be told, like just because I was in the mortgage industry back then doesn't mean I knew how to invest back then. 
because I was investing just based on, you know, I thought the idea of Vegas sounded really cool and all. I didn't understand, like, I didn't understand value add at the time. I bought new construction and just the numbers work. It was just ready to go as be rental. But like my, my, my fundamentals of what a good investment were, were all thrown off, like, they were not right. Um, they like I was basing everything off interest only payments back then. I didn't get any crazy negam loan, but I did get a like a seven one arm interest only, and it was just the numbers were just uh, it was breaking even cash flow. Okay, so just even with the interest only payment, so it's like I I was I you know I I was a, I basically bought a bad investment, especially when the market turned and I couldn't, and, and, and the property was underwater. I was like, I had nowhere to go, but like, mm-hmm. this was one of the properties that I thought I would need to have the short sale to be honest with you. But the funny thing was, is like, we, after the, after the very first seven years, it switched from interest only and it, be, it was, it became fully amortized. But the funny thing is that the, that when it, when it, when it back then, and again, this is before the, uh, the it was around the mortgage credit crisis and whatnot the adjustable portion of it had a lower rate than my initial uh, locked in seven year rate and it ended up paying down my principal. So that kind of saved me. Mm. It's, it's kind of funny how that all worked out, but it's just like, I would never ever buy a property again, just, you know, banking on it being cash flow positive on interest only. You need to make sure that you understand the fundamentals of what you're buying. Totally. Does that make sense? Exactly. And for me, just because I bought on interest only for the first 10 years doesn't mean I'm only going to pay interest, you know, and, you know, obviously just paying interest means you're, you're essentially paying and you're not getting the benefit of the principal pay down. So yeah, I love what you're saying there, Dale, make sure you can cash flow it. And unless if there's a really good reason why you're not going to do principal pay down, like you're actually putting that money to renovate the building or something, you know, um, then yeah, yeah, start paying it down, get yourself into a, a safer situation. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, absolutely. It's like that amortization. I mean, you want. I mean, amortization is a good thing. You're paying some of that principal down. You know, no matter what the what 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 the uh, what the market's doing. You know, with the values around the area. <clears throat> totally. Fantastic stuff. So Dale, you've mentioned a couple times some potential parallels between pre-market crash, um, you know, 15 years ago and perhaps today. So can we dive a little bit deeper into that? Do you see any parallels? Do you think now is a time for concern or just what are your general thoughts there? Obviously, nobody can see the future, of course. So I feel like just be cautious. I mean, some of the loan, like from from the more when I put my mortgage hat on, I just see some of the same products coming out. Okay. I do, one of the things, okay, a lot of a lot of the craziness um, from lending before the you know mortgage credit crisis were interest only loans combined with uh, loan down payments. You could get interest only loans, um, you know, and do hundred percent financing, zero down. Like so, that does not exist right now. You still got to mm-hmm. put like, you know 20 percent down. I mean, that's a good that's a good thing. I mean, when you do. When you do zero down, like really all of the risk is on the bank because the borrower has zero skin in the game. Okay. Um, bank like zero down really doesn't uh, exist for any, any interest only, you know, products or anything like that right now. But the fact that interest only is still making a comeback, comeback means that, you know, we're loosening up somewhat this, you know, just loosening up standards because like uh, in terms of people being able to qualify for things a little easier since rates have gone up again, they're not in the twos or threes anymore. There's in the, they're in the fives and sixes guys now. So like, I know banks want to make profit and they want to sell loans. So they're like more like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised as more banks, you know, they've gotten as many have gotten rid of their interest only products, but now, uh, especially, especially the big banks, but some of them are now bringing them back. So just be, uh, just, you know, just be cautious. It's just like, um, be ca- like, uh, if we see more interest only types of loans coming out with, you know, combined with down payments of like 5%, 0% down, then I'd be even more concerned. But like, I don't, I'm not seeing that right now, uh, 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 right now, but it's just like, I, but I remember in, in the mid 2000s, easily i mean even i bought my first house zero down interest only everything and um it was like i i it was so easy to get a home back then you guys um, <laughs> it was, like, 
to have you know you needed somebody you needed to have a pulse somebody that could validate that you were employed mm-hmm. and boom you have a property it's it's not as easy right now okay yes i see interest only coming back but they still have more like they still have more um parameters and hoops that you've got to jump through to get your loan closed yeah <laughs> which is good right at least a, a bit of hurdles to make sure that the property or the person or both both can make it make it happen yeah and then i mean the nice thing though too is that most of the people that you know uh i know the people that haven't bought yet are the ones that are like a lot of them are the ones that are complaining because they didn't you know lock in a rate in the last three you know about they didn't buy or refinance the last two three years and their rates aren't in twos but most of the you know most of american citizens really they have a 30-year fix like uh like like if they locked something in within the last two years or so in the twos, it's just like everybody's got a principal. Most people have a principal and interest with loan. People have so much equity right now. Um, the fact that um, uh, the fact that they are they they have principal and interest loans, like uh, for the folks that you know that have been that that have been their properties for a long time, it's like they're they're in really good loans. Um, even mm. my own house, I have a thirty year fix. So I think I'm at two point five percent. That not, it's actually one of those, the rate's so low, it makes me not want to go anywhere. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And it's, uh, I, I, uh, I, I know that, I know that it's like, I'm still an investor myself. And it's just like, I know that if I were to buy an investment property that I would have to take a rate, I know in the sixes and whatnot, I'm willing to accept that. Um, uh, Cause I'm willing to accept that as well. And I'm actually considering if I, when I do buy properties next, I actually am considering doing interest only just because mm-hmm. of, I want to have that flexibility, but I'm going to base everything as like all my my underwriting, uh, you know, uh, and whatnot as, but on principal and interest types of payments. Totally. That's awesome, Dale. And I love talking with somebody as multi-talented as you, because we talked about your, your experience as a broker and then as a realtor and as an investor as well. Can you talk about, um, because you had real estate agency as well as brokerage experience prior to investing, it sounds like. Could you talk about any challenges you faced when you started investing? You mentioned that Las Vegas progress project, excuse you know, me, anything else like that? So I was scared uh, after the mm-hmm. mortgage credit crisis to invest in anything. With everything kind of going down, I was a little jaded and I didn't, um, I, I kind of just turned off the idea of investing for a while, like literally. It wasn't, and then I, and then um, what had happened was one of my, one of my uh, business partners, he would, like, he had his real estate license, but he didn't really sell. He was actually more of an investor. Uh, He would refer deals to me and whatnot, but he was actually a, uh, he was a note broker as well. I didn't even know what that was at the time, Mm -hmm. but what, what he, like, um, he, he, after, like, after the third day he, deal he referred to me, I was like, I just feel like I, I need to do something with them. Um, I was like, hey, tell me about these notes that you're broke, like that you're mm-hmm. having people invest in. Like, what is this? And so um, what it was, was basically, I think this is around 2013 or 2014 when I started talking to them about it. And so a uh, mortgage uh, note is a type of an investment where basically you're the lender. And so, um, your you could lend you could lend out of your own straight cash that you have or you could even do this out of your ira and whatnot but like i would do it in my ira i would own the actual mortgage note so instead of wells fargo being the lender it was dale's ira being the lender and i and he 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 was like like uh this is true passive income i'm like what do you mean so it's like mm-hmm. the rates like i remember i bought two notes over in texas uh they were at 10 percent. you know they were performing notes that they were they were paying out at 10 percent each i was like okay let, this sounds like i don't have anything that's yielding me 10 percent. let's just see what this is like and i had an ira and, um i actually started a solo 401k at the time because i was trying to stash as much as possible away to shelter more of my income and a 401k is a, a solo 401k for a self-employed sole proprietor. It's a good way of stashing actually a good amount of your income. I was like, where am, I was like, I think I was, the conversation with this client of mine came at a really good time. And I was like, because each of his notes is about 30,000 a piece and whatnot. And um, I'm like, I tried it for the first year on two notes. I'm like, this is really, this really is passive. I'm really, I'm getting this 10%. 
and the sky's not falling. And I liked it because I didn't, I think what freaked me out was I didn't have, like before was like, I'm going to get a loan and the house is going to crash, but this is different. I am the lender. I'm doing it inside my IRA, which is like, I needed to invest something in my IRA anyways. Like I can't just have it sit in cash. And it just, what it did is it changed my psychology. It was like, I could prove myself there's ways of making money again and investing. Hmm. It was through that experience. I'm like, there's, I could invest passively in real estate. I just, uh, there's not, you know, I don't just need to do out of state rentals. There's other ways of doing it. When I experience like true passive, like, you know, investing through, through notes, I was like, there's gotta be stuff like this that, that exists. Um, so I needed to find other folks that have investments because I can't just go to this one guy of mine. Cause what if, you know, what if he doesn't have any other deals and whatnot, or what if he even passes away or else going to you know do this? So it's like, at that point, that's when I started turning the podcast hmm. and, and whatnot. And just realized, I was like, oh, wow, I was missing out on all this stuff that I could have been listening to and learning things more about syndications. I was like, okay, well. I understand like the, the idea of, you know, syndications of just me passively investing in something in multifamily or, you know, mobile home parks and whatnot. I was like, this sounds like something I'd be interested in too. It's almost like notes, but I actually own the real estate though too. So I feel that it was me having the comfort level of proving to myself that I can invest in something in real estate and not have it, you know, tank and whatnot mm-hmm. and have it be passive mm-hmm. in time that got me comfortable of being able to invest again. And I started in the syndication route. Um, and I started the syndications first in, in my IRA again. And I, again, I, the IRA thing was, I'm not saying that starting your IRA is the way to go. I just did it because it was money that I knew I had to invest anyway. And I was always so scared to invest like just money that I kind of needed to live off of. But when, again, I felt more comfortable, I was like, I, I could actually manage my money. I'm like, I, 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 I realized it gave me confidence that I could actually move some of the stuff that I had with my financial advisor on top of that and manage myself. Um, mm. even, even my, my portfolio and whatnot. And so, um, I've taken that and like, I basically invest in many, many like, uh, commercial real estate syndications, um, and been doing that now, uh, you know, ever since I started investing in mortgage notes. Um, and it's just been a whole new, uh, world for me. And, um, speaking of networking, um, networking has, really been the thing that's kind of just led me to my next opportunity and just uh, kind of leveled me up to another um you know road to success and whatnot just even i you know matt we're part of a we're part of a group together we're called abundant it's just kind of like i'm so glad that i joined that group in the sense Mm -hmm. that i i didn't know who else was doing the stuff that i was like that i was doing and investing in the way that i was trying to do it because uh, um, a lot of mortgage brokers and realtors, they, they just are so caught up in just doing the day to day of sales, but they don't invest. I feel that sales is great to build you know, your, your occupation and get yourself going, but like investing will get you out of that rat race. I mean, just because you're a realtor doesn't mean that you have an easy going life. It's hard work. You're still on the mm-hmm. hamster wheel. You're actually creating a job for yourself. Totally. But, you know, you got to learn how to, like, I realized that, like, I was trying to take my investing to another level and I'm still, I'm still on the path of growing my investing and whatnot. I mean, I, I joined GoBundance and now here I am now I'm, I'm still doing syndications, but now we're, I'm in talks with other you know, folks within the group and we're going to be, uh, really collaborating together to, to buy, um, to buy commercial properties, you know, in the retail and industrial space and, this is something I never even fathomed that I could even do, but it's just, you know, finding the right folks in the right network and you guys are all in alignment and thinking the same way. It's just um, magic. That's where the magic happens. <clears throat> what, a, what a cool journey. I mean, and I think what I see the thread being is you were perpetually open to learning, to expanding yourself, to taking on new opportunities and to leveraging the network you built to not just get business from a job sense, but to catapult yourself to the next level, which is such a great insight for people is that, you know, the connections you make, obviously, if you provide enough value to them can provide value to you in so many different ways, not just from an income perspective, but it's actually catapulted you into an investing level where, you know, your passive income is growing leaps and bounds every year, which is really what we, we care about here. You know, with this podcast, it's all about freedom, you know, and, while I think going from like a corporate job to being a real estate agent or a lender could be great because your income can 
to 5, 10x, and you have some sense of freedom because you get to choose the 18 hours a day that you work instead of you know having a nine to five. But going from that to investing is where you can literally you know begin to work as little as you want. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I, I mean, totally like my mindset now about investing, it's like completely different just because I feel that going through the, like proving to myself that, you know, the sky's not falling and just surrounding myself with other investors that has really helped and just like immersing yourself into just, uh, you know, audiobooks and podcasts in general, related to the topic, um, you, you realize that other people are doing it. You are not alone. This actually works. Then this actually can, you know, like this gives me more options. I could retire out of, you know, I could, I, I could literally retire out of, um, you know, doing selling real estate and doing loans if I, uh, and, and whatnot, just do real estate investing. Um, and I just, I love real estate investing because, um, it's just, I don't know, it just, it's one of the, it's like, for me, because of my background, it's just like it, it combines everything that I've learned, and it and it puts it it forces you to actually uh, to put it into practice now, um, and it and it you know it's and it's and it's amazing. It's just like uh, and and then and I, what I what I found so like so great along the way is just like all the relationships again. You don't you never know who you're gonna meet. Mm. Um, you never like one of the things that. Uh, one of my uh, uh, past mentors had said to me, it's like, you know, you're one relationship away from your business exploding. And it's like, so true. You never know who you're going to meet. I mean, uh, you never know who could change your life or who could introduce you to this opportunity that you never even thought of before, uh, even investing related. That can just be a home run and just completely change your life like that. Totally. Um, always be networking always looking for opportunities. Don't think me, don't, you know, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, find another room and find folks mm -hmm. that are than you. Most definitely. Totally. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely. So, yeah. So Dale, you brought up networking quite a few times. So let's say somebody's absolutely brand new to this. Um, what kind of networking strategy would you recommend? Would you say go to as many events as possible and then try to filter down to the best ones? Or, or what kind of networking strategy do you think is efficient for somebody just getting rolling? Okay. Um, so depending on what you're, you're trying to do, um, it's like, okay, don't go to as many, like, I would say go to targeted events where you know there would be the right amount, like the, the right target art audience for what you're trying to do. Like I'm gonna give myself an example. Like when I go to, for example, my own GoBundance like uh, events that are masterminds, it's like uh, we have summer one and the winter one. It's like, I'm not there to meet everybody. I'm actually there to make, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm actually probably there to meet, uh, have at least like five, 10 good contacts, okay? But like. Whereas there might be like, whatever, 400 folks there or whatnot. Like I look for quality for myself versus quantity. Some people do it the other way around, but like I need people that I know that I could actually, you know, I, I want to have a, I actually want to connect with them afterwards, not just have it be a one-time thing out of over at the events. Um, and really um, my, I'm, 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 I always go in with the attitude of like, you know, learning more about them and also figuring out, you know, what is, you know, if, if you wanted to 10X your business right now, like, what is it that you need or what is it that you're looking for, you know, uh, to, to, to take you there? Having that kind of like contribution mindset and figuring out like how you could potentially help them. I might not have that answer for them, but I might have somebody that I could connect mm -hmm. them with, 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 with what they do to be able to help them. Um, and I feel that when you come with that, you know, that mindset of just contribution and actually asking them, you know, you know, what are, what, what can I, can I do to help you, um, 10 X even your business or what are you needing? Um, sometimes people get, you know, they're, they, they, you know, they're, they're, they're like, nobody asked me that and whatnot. So it's just like, it just kind of, it puts you in a different light of like the fact that you're, you're actually being genuine and that you're actually really trying to help. So. I look for, you know, folks and I, that, and I'm just trying to look for common connections that we have, you know, obviously I want to know them as a person. 
um, want to learn about their family, obviously what they do, occupation, um, the recreation and stuff like that. But I really also like to ask what, how, like, what, what they're looking for uh, to help them, you know, grow their business and whatnot and see how I can help them and connect them with somebody in, within my own network. Mm. I've been mm. able to connect a lot of people countless times with somebody, you know, from the past that I've met that potentially help them. And, and it's just like, and it, I, I like that. I feel like I'm, a, I'm a, almost like a, a, you know, a matchmaker or whatnot <laughs> within, my own, within my community, you know what I'm saying? So like to help each other, like to help folks create synergies with each other. And I feel that that's, that's just, that's just the way that, I think that's just the way business works. Yeah. It's like, it's, there's like, if I were to simplify it, it's just like, I don't think it's rocket science. It's just like the more people you help, the more money you make. <laughs> totally. I, I couldn't agree more. Go Giver is such a great book that I think illustrates that point. Yeah. Incredible. Dale, we appreciate you coming on so much. It's so cool to see somebody who's weathered the storms. You know, there's a lot of people that haven't been through a recession yet, a crash yet, and you did it and grew. And I love the fact that you overcame that initial, you know, resistance towards investing, that you essentially found a way, found a connection that allowed you to dip your toe in the water. And now, of course, you've leveled up and you're full speed ahead. But, you know, I appreciate you giving us and our, our audience an insight into what we might be facing with the market correction that could be ahead and maybe some strategies that we can use to get through it and get through it well. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for, ha thanks for having me. And guys, if, if you're listening, please do at least one thing. Write down the notes that you've taken. Take, pick one action that you can put into play in the next seven days. Go ahead and pick somebody and tell them about it so they can hold you accountable. Because guys, freedom is obtained one action at a time and you're not as far away from freedom as you think. So guys, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.